Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Jonathan Melville from NDD in Atlanta. And today we have on Sovik Dasgupta, co-founder of Marange. How you doing, Sovik? Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on. And we also have on Rob Hewitt, the creative director and lead developer at Steadfast Design Firm. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. Thanks again for having me on. Yeah, and we have both of you on here because we wanted to talk about collaborating with designers to build better websites, right? A lot of us are developers. Some of us are developer designers. Some of us are designers. But we all kind of have to figure out how to, to work together. So, Sovic, if you were out in Rochester, New York, at Nick Tahoe's and you were about to sit down to eat a garbage plate and someone asked you, hey, you know, how do you think developers can work better with designers? What would you tell them? Wow, that's a difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> we're coming I back to the garbage plate in a second. Yeah. <laughs> I would literally say that that's a tough question. <laughs> hmm. Not not as tough as eating uh, a garbage plate, but quick, you got it. Like you're, <laughs> you're, you're hungry. You got to get in there and you got to answer this pithy. Come on. Yeah. So... I would say that it's the first step is to like identify how does the designer work, what are their experience like, uh, what kind of work they have been doing, what kind of processes they have been following, and then try to figure out from your own side what are the kinds of processes you are used to, and then kind of like marry the two uh, with each other and uh, they discuss some of the challenges that uh, you have faced in the past, ask them to uh, discuss challenges that they have faced in the past, and and kind of figure out a solution before you have already dived into the into a project. Yeah, I mean, because if you think about it, everyone is working towards the same goal, right? We're all trying to just like build the thing and we're focusing on different aspects on it, but we need to work together to build this thing to make it, you know, as good as it could be. So Rob, for you, from your perspective, if you were just sitting down about to eat a garbage plate at, at Nick Tahoe's and someone asked you, you know, how can developers and designers work better together? Like, what would you say? Well, I, I think one of the first thing that comes to my mind is actually working together. Hmm. You know, often the design and development processes are very isolated from each other. We don't pull a developer in until handoff. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we can make huh. uh, on either end of the spectrum. You know, initially working with as a designer, working with a developer, having some review points together, even doing it early planning, you know, trying to get on the same page there and make sure we're uh, not overshooting on the design front, designing to the moon, so to speak, when we don't really have the budget on the dev side. Right. And then and then even on the d dev side, pulling the designer in at multiple review points to make sure things are happening. And I think inevitably on the design side, we're going to forget things like empty states and some of the edge case scenarios where we just don't have something designed for. And that's where open collaboration, I think, is really key. So that, that's probably what I would lead off with. And that, you make an interesting point there, which is that th these aren't like black and white separate 
separate things, right? There isn't like design is right. over here and development is over there. Like there's kind of like a, a gray area where they kind of merge together. And if you ignore that, and I think that's, you know, the majority for a lot of this stuff. If you ignore that part of it, you, you might be doing so at your peril. And we have people that are also like blended designer developers, you know, probably because they enjoy both the discipline of design as well as development. So I know, Jonathan, you do. You're, you're classically trained. In addition to being classically trained as a ballerina, you're also classically trained as a designer, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I haven't done I haven't done ballet for, you know, at least a couple of months. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I did go to school for design, actually. And I learned, you know, the development side of it later. Right. So I, I enjoy both. Uh, now, but but design plays a real heavy part in, in what I do day to day. Right. And because you, on some of the projects you do, you'll be both the designer and the developer, but then you'll also work with existing designers from other agencies to then be the implementer of it. That used to be my model. So I sort of saw myself as, or I, I framed my company as initially, hey, we'll be like the hired guns for agencies mm-hmm. um, who are like capable of pulling off a design, but not capable of actually doing the development work. Right. And I sort of changed my mind on that a couple of years ago because I just enjoy being uh, involved in every part of the process, particularly the design. And I just, I didn't find myself enjoying implementing somebody else's design. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I could do stuff better. And so I just, I kind of like being start to finish guy. Yeah. And, and honestly, overflow work from agencies sometimes cannot be, it's not always the most enjoyable kind of work, right? Yeah, Patrick? it can be, it can be, pay, I mean, depending on the agency, you can, you can be a little abused, right. you know, so you have to watch out for that. You, you find that to be the case, Patrick, at all in terms of the, the overflow work or you, is that primarily how you do it? Do you do any of the designs or is it mostly stuff that is given to you? Yeah, no, we do a good bit of design in, in house. Though when we are working with an agency, it is just that either overflow or they don't have their own internal development and just go to contractors because it's not they're not interested in maintaining an internal dev team. Definitely, though, as Jonathan said, it can be tough. I've found out the hard way that especially when it comes to pricing that and trying to understand scope, that can be really hard to come in and you know they say, hey, we're building this website. Here's a client. Maybe we have some brand guidelines. How much can you build the site for? And so much hasn't been figured out yet. That design phase hasn't happened yet. You know, to try to figure it out, I, I recommend to people that they go time materials if they get into that situation Hmm. so that everyone is incentivized to like do good work but we we can get into that maybe later but yeah no it's something we've we've done a good bit of and i think having the the developers really tied in early on and there at the table as designs are coming up can be the the key to making that sort of relationship work yeah well what about what rob was saying in terms of it needing to be kind of a cooperative process where it's not that like the the design gets dropped on your doorstep in the form of like a photoshop document Right? Yep. <laughs> which I'm sure we've all had happen. And then you just like go implement it, right? What do you, what do you think about the, that, is that? I th- think that's the best case scenario. Yeah. Um, at the very least, though, I, I would say making sure that the developers are seeing the designs before the end client does mm. um, is really key. There, it's the worst thing ever if you come in and you're like, actually, that's not doable. Or have you thought about right. your experience with that? <laughs> or how does this affect scope? You know, this was two seconds for you to put down in your Figma or sketch file, but it's going to take me eight hours hours to implement. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I remember um, Andrew, me and you were working on a project for an unnamed client, but it was like a, a tablet based project. Mm-hmm. And we had yeah. a conference call and one of the designers threw in at the last minute, this brilliant <laughs> idea for this like oh animated map that updates with statistics <laughs> in real time. And we we're like, uh, we're launching next week. What in the world are you doing? That and this kind of stuff does happen when there's, when there's not, you know, an understanding on the part of designers about what it takes to actually pull something off in reality or developers coming in and, and not uh, being clear about expectations on their end. Uh, I had actually forgotten about that. That was one of the worst <laughs> and the best projects that I worked on. I agree. It was the best. It was the best <laughs> and the worst of both. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of that, I'm, I'm not going to pin on designers necessarily. Like some of it was also like there definitely was what you're talking about coming from designer at the end. Like, why don't we just do this? But it was also coming from stakeholders who were not designers who just said, like, we want this. And I'm somebody like, had a brilliant idea last night. And <laughs> yeah, and that goes right. back to like, I, I think everyone's incentives need to be lined up. And I don't know if you guys were fixed bid or hourly on it, but if it's, fi- if it's fixed bid, then they're trying to get as much development out of you as they can kind of creep into scope. And you're trying to minimize and like protect your profit margin against doing it. It's really hard. And I, I've actually come around a, a lot. And this is just Total tangent, but yeah, a lot of fixed bid work, especially when the scope is a little bit hazy or, as you said, can change like that. This is totally tangential, but I just feel like I have to say it because I think people will find it amusing, right? So, and again, there were parts of this project that were awesome, but the part that was not so awesome is that I was, you know, things were, the the spec wasn't nailed down until like a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks before it was supposed to go live. And the go live part was actually like, it wasn't just go live as in, oh, we have to like ship this thing. It was go live as in hundreds of people are actually showing up to an event. You know? and, and this so, so, for, so for some perspective, this was a live event right. for a brand that everybody would know. Right. And it was a conference where people could come and, and partake in this interactive exhibits. And, and our part was working on a tablet, like a web, a web view application for a tablet that, that caused things to happen around the room as you interacted with it. And so... Right. A lot of it was decided at the last minute, which is very difficult. And then I was on site, you know, to try and finish this stuff up. And morning of the stuff coming in, like I'm sitting in there behind this curtain, working on the working on the code, and I'm I'm like running a webpack build, and and I, the like, build's failing. The, the build's failing. Hey, no attention to the man behind the curtain. It, it literally, it literally was me behind the curtain. Like I'm not even kidding. Like that's exactly. A guy sticked his head in. People are coming in in five minutes. Is it going to work? That's exactly How what do happened. You trust the internet connection at a conference. It was it was, it was a server. Well, I'll, I'll I'll get to that real quick. But it was it was an executive from the one of the you know the stakeholder company that <laughs> poked her head in. It was just like, uh, yeah, I got a couple hundred people you know waiting outside to, <laughs> to come in. Is it is it ready? And I'm just like, I'm I look over at the screen and I see a webpack build is like scrolling <laughs> scrolling by, and I'm like. <laughs> I'll let you know in about 30 seconds. <laughs> and then, the, okay, anyway, I mean, that's just, you know, that's just a funny story because it's it's tangential. But it was a really fun project in other regards. But let's get back to the the design aspect of some of this stuff. So, Sovic, developers are from Mars. Designers are from Venus. Is it possible to get everyone together on this? You know, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Can it work? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it can work. I haven't come across a flawless case yet. Sure. Uh, but but with every experience, it gets better. There are certain 
uh, ideas you have certain things you want to avoid previous mistakes and stuff and 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 really the one of the things that struck me in the point that Jonathan was making which is i think the understanding bit in terms of when the designer has to understand what are the processes that go behind building a website what are the things hmm. uh, that things like how do you for especially for large projects and and we we are a small team we do a lot of collaborations with individual designers or design teams and when we are working with a new team or a new individual every single time especially when they have a greater amount of experience in traditional design in print and all they find it really hard to imagine systems way of thinking or, mm. or 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 for a website in which can drastically have a difference in i would say the quality of the build the quality and the stability uh, and the robustness as well as how how much the design can scale within a website itself so a bunch of understanding of things like how the fluid medium works how does the interactive canvas work the bits that were said that oh we forgot the empty state or oh we just copy pasted the same blocks thinking that all the content pieces will be so e- evenly arranged that things automatically look asymmetrical in the design mockups but as soon as real data gets put in then there's a long paragraph and a short paragraph and suddenly the design starts looking not that great so yeah taking a step back the part where working very closely and not doing this as separate steps like the entire design done first and then only the development come uh, happens right uh, can be a very good first step right yeah because i i have been in a situation like patrick was talking about before where i've been in a boardroom meeting or a conference room meeting where <laughs> i'm just there as a developer and the the con the uh, designers from this agency are presenting their designs to the client <laughs> in terms of what they're going to make and i'm just looking at them like what the hell <laughs> are you kidding me like there's just no way that this is it's just <laughs> never going to happen you know what i mean especially not so, well go ahead and then the client falls in love with it and no yeah that's what i was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not in scope, but we thought it was in scope. And, well, and that's yeah, like, again, wow, it's quite an imagination you've got there. And oh. and therein lies the problem, right? Because in software, everything is really just a matter of money and time, right? It's virtual, so you can do, you re- literally can do anything, you know? It's more just how much money and time are you going to throw at this thing <laughs> to make it happen? But yeah, when you're already locked in with the amount of money that it's going to be bid for and they start showing these designs you're just like what yep. <laughs> you know like the the hair on the nape of my neck started standing up well that that's if there was any hair there but you, you know <laughs> you, you get the idea but rob have you ever encountered this from coming at from the other end of things in terms of you know you being kind of a creative director and a lead developer oh yeah yeah definitely i think uh on our team here at steadfast we've we've done a pretty good job of maintaining the collaboration throughout so Hmm. Not a not a ton of issues there. But just earlier on, you know, pulling in, as I was saying earlier, pulling in a developer. And honestly, for myself, having a background in both design and development, not just a background, but actually being involved in both sides, you know, I'm able to catch those things earlier on. So I'm seeing both ends doing reviews on design and reviews on dev. And majority of my career has been at Steadfast. So right. uh, I haven't run into too many situations where we've had major issues here. Although even myself, you know, just wanting to design a really cool website uh, and pull out all the bells and whistles, you know, especially uh, <laughs> kind of being, I, I, I use Dribble as a, a resource for inspiration. Sure. We know what happens on Dribble. Everything looks great. All the bells and whistles are there, but when it comes to practically implementing some of that stuff into a development environment, well, it's not 
quite as easy as it is to just drag and drop in a design program. That's kind of a fun thing to do, actually, because I agree with your point a lot. So I'll go on Dribble sometimes and I'll see a site that just looks absolutely phenomenal. Like the designer did an amazing job. And then you'll go try to find the site, the live version, and it either doesn't exist or it's vastly different than, than right. the concept that right. was presented. Well, sure. I mean, Dribble is the Instagram of the design world, right? In terms <laughs> yeah. of... Yeah. You know. But it does illustrate the point about the disconnect between what designers want to do and what may be possible right. to do. Right. Well, just like, you know, everyone is... At the perfect ang- lighting angle and airbrushed on Instagram, you know, I think of it kind of the same on Dribble in terms of, I think most of the stuff I see, I, I look at it more as like concept pieces. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes that's exactly what it is, but a lot of times it's not. <laughs> you know, like the, like you were saying, the reality is is quite different from what is actually up there. But what, what about tooling? So one of the things my wife was talking to me about was she's working on a, a team that does Android development and she has design specs that need to get implemented. And she said what, what they're using, they have to put in like for every single element that they're laying out and on every single page, they manually have to put in the various layout, like the padding and the margin and everything for every single element. Right. And she's like, there's got to be a better way to do this. I don't know a whole lot about Android development, but I would suspect that there has to be like if you are doing any kind of a design system, there has to be a better way to do this than making it, you know, so incredibly laborious for the developers to do. Do you folks think that tooling factors into how well this relationship between developers and designers can work? Does anyone have a comment on that in terms of the importance of the tooling that you use? Right. So I'll I'll just, I'll just jump in this. So I do not have experience from a designer point of view, right. using the different tools right. as much. Definitely have used Sketch, have used Figma uh, a bit, but a larger portion of our work when we are using tools like this, because we have been used to uh, designing in the browser directly. Back in 2011, 12, that's when we started. We would code HTML and CSS, test out our designs directly in code. And that's something that we are able to do because we have the background in, in, in software. Sure. Uh, but but you cannot expect, I would say, uh, a designer to be uh, to directly jump into this. Although I I, I do remember around that time uh, there was a tweet by Jeffrey Zeldman that said, uh, "Real web designers write code, always have, always will," and that was something that we always thought that designers should code. But that aside, if if you look at the tools that that are there at this point of time, they are really offering things that are pretty fascinating in terms of web flow and all. Where where uh, much of the things that the designers are doing are directly translating and and almost constraining the designers to make sure they're conforming to what the web expects. Right. Yeah, I was actually going to mention. I was going to actually mention Webflow because that's a tool where you know a designer could then lay stuff out, and he's really or she is really using actual like laying out actual html in the process of doing the design yeah so i've 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 seen the tool like webflow being used uh, effectively but sometimes it becomes like oh as soon as i've made things in webflow my code is done why do i need a developer that's a different <laughs> stream of conversation that that has often happened right. uh, but i think what we have started doing is uh, we've started defining a certain set of uh, deliverables that the designer should produce and should not have to bother about making each and every screen really conforming to a specific standard, but make sure that after you've done a few screens, you're able to abstract out the type scale and give one deliverable for the type scale, abstract out the what the responsive grid is going to be and give one deliverable. And 
And even if you're making a few errors here and there, we know that we have to actually follow uh, that type scale or that responsive grid. And, and then many of the errors that they might do inside the tools uh, is something that is taken care of. Hmm. How about you, Rob? Like, what does your tooling look like? And do you think that tooling plays a role in helping designers and developers work better together? Yeah, definitely. Earlier, you mentioned Photoshop, and uh, we've come a long way. Uh, since the good old days of Photoshop, right? Have, have we though? Because uh, even pretty recently, I've gotten so I've seen designs handed to me in Photoshop. <laughs> Still very popular in India. Uh, anyway, anyway, continue. Yeah, well, at least on our team here at Steadfast, we use Figma, right? Pretty much exclusively for any web or app design mm-hmm. sort of things, and you know, it's definitely improved our handoff to development significantly. So often in the past, we would have to specify, you know, font sizes and spacing between things and kind of highlight those in a separate document to make it really clear for the developer how this is supposed to be implemented. Right. And even still, even with that, often the designs are inconsistent and we've missed some things and we have a heading, but you know, H2 in a paragraph, for example, and the spacing is different in different contexts. But the tool like Figma, it makes the handoff much easier where you can simply just click on an element and hold the option or alt button down and hover on another element. And it tells you right there what the spacing is. So just that alone has really revolutionized that from from my perspective, so, uh, how, how we take a design to development. That's a huge thing. And then uh, in Figma in particular, and some of the other programs have stuff like this too, but there's a code view mm. you know, where the developer can hop in and select an element and then look in the code view and it gives you some basic CSS properties already spit out for you, like color and background and maybe border and some things like that, which can help improve the process and speed it up a little bit. Though, in my experience, as far as we have come from Photoshop, at least for those of us who aren't using Photoshop anymore, I'll say, (laughs) even those things aren't foolproof. Right. You know, and so you can't really just copy and paste it over and expect the program to spit out usable code, especially if you're using, you know, variables or like tailwind, that sort of thing. Now you have to integrate your variable names and all these different things to really make it scale and be maintainable in the future. But uh, those tools have really improved a lot of things. So if I'm understanding you correctly, one of the reasons why Figma has been an improvement for you is that it'll, it, carries some of that knowledge of development inside of the design tool. Is that kind of what you're you're saying there? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a fair point. Yeah. And, and so that's an, kind of an interesting point because, you know, one of the things that I try to do whenever I travel to a foreign country or a country where I don't speak the language is, you know, I, I at least try to learn a little bit. You know what I mean? Like learn a little bit of the the local language and the local culture and customs and that kind of thing. And maybe it's kind of the same way with designers and developers that if they are, if the designer is exposed to a little bit of the development stuff, you know, when they're seeing like these CSS properties that maybe they don't know a whole lot about, maybe that's kind of rubbing off on them in some ways. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely helpful. And I'm not one of the, one of those guys that would say designers or web designers in particular need to develop. Right. I, I don't really buy into that ideology, but I do think uh, it's very helpful to understand some foundational principles and uh, generally what's possible and you know stay in touch with new developments going on in in the web world, what you know browsers are starting to implement and what's coming down the pipeline in the future. 
Yeah, it's just like I was saying, like when you travel to a foreign country, you don't have to speak the language fluently necessarily, but at least if you learn a little bit about it, you can kind of, you know, suss out certain situations and scenarios and and that type of thing, you know? And I think that 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 kind of exposure, that accidental exposure is probably something that's kind of useful. I mean, Sovic, what do you folks use typically in terms of design? Do Do you use Figma or do you use whatever tools you're presented with from the designer? you work with or how does that how does that shake out so i just want to make a comment on the last thing that you just said yeah 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 that 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 the designers should learn a little bit of the language that the developers speak i think it also goes vice versa yeah yeah oh yeah both ways both ways the developer also needs to learn a little bit of the language the designer speaks because that can make the collaboration a lot better and coming to the tool question that you've just asked we 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 are sometimes experimenting with figma Hmm. uh, but as i said most of the times if Miranj is taking up the project completely internally without any external collaborators, then we would often end up doing some rough wireframes and we directly jump into code Mm. uh, and pretty much do the design in the browser. Our work is usually minimal. We are not graphic designers by by background, but a lot of our work is uh, a collaboration. So in that case, the comfort of the designer comes first in terms of what tool they are comfortable with. So designing part is something that they do what we are more concerned about is what the how the handover is so at the point of the handover if it's in a tool like figma even if they're using some other tools and then they export it into figma or maybe you're using sketch and then you export it into figma then it helps a lot for us to be able to see the specs internally but other than other than that one of the issues with just being able to inspect the spec doesn't necessarily mean that they are consistent across the board Hmm. Uh, which because uh, there are there are times when we have seen that the designers have produced say 20 screens 30 screens but they ended up being ended up with so many font and type variations and then that that that's when we started telling that please we want a type scale document exported out can you just put that there because the moment you start putting in all the type in the different scales the variations and the typefaces on one sheet you suddenly realize wait well the page weight is going to be too much right or 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 some of the other things and then yeah, that's from a there really again, good point. From there again, we work backwards and, and and say that let's try to reduce this. Can you make it consistent and and reduce the number of variations that you're using across the designs? Uh, so it goes kind of both ways, which is where the developer also learning some of their language and telling them that can you bring it into a system again and and reiterate it once more. Yeah, and, uh, and again, a designer that comes yeah. from a traditional design background. They may not have any concept of page weight. You know, maybe they're a super talented designer, and but they come from doing print design where it doesn't matter. Like you can throw, you know, 50 typefaces at it. It makes no difference. You know what I mean? So that them kind of learning at least that little bit or, or if they don't know it, as has been mentioned previously, if there is an iterative process where it goes back and forth between them, I mean, I think that's going to end up with a with a design that's, that's much better. And it, it, I'm sorry, an end product that's much better, you know? Hmm. I think, you know, one thing I think is interesting is how personalities can inform what we end up doing. So I love problem solving. So I like developing, right? Because, you know, every development thing is like a little problem that's got to be solved. On the other hand, my wife is a designer and she is incredibly sensitive to like the layout of stuff and the way that things look and work. So I'll be looking at a design, you know, so give me a design and I'll implement it. And she'll be like, going over it with me and she'd be like don't you see it i'll be like no 
like, what are you talking about? You know, she'd be like, look, look at that. That that margin is off over there. It's not the same as that one. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it looks it looks kind of the same to me. And then we're like zooming in and, and sure, like she's always right. Okay, so that's, <laughs> that's the annoying part. When it comes to design, I found to just understand that she is correct. You know, that's just the way it is. But we'll zoom in and, and it'll be off by a couple of pixels. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of be like, I don't know, you know, it looks pretty good to me. And she'll give me that look like, no. <laughs> you know, this has got to be perfectly even. But I think it's interesting. You know, I kind of was flippantly saying developers are from Mars, designers are from Venus. But it is kind of true to some extent that the type of our personality may shape the things we're interested in and, and thus shape what we end up doing. And because we're coming at it from different perspectives, just like I wouldn't necessarily see visually what was wrong with this layout, someone else might not understand how it would be problematic to, you know, ship, uh, you know, a 50 megabyte image on the page or whatever it ends up being. I just wanted to bring in a point that you had pointed out, Andrew, about the dribble designs that are there, which are, <laughs> they look really good visually. The Instagram models, reach, you're, you're talking about the Instagram yeah, yeah. models, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and very recently in one of conference where I was giving a talk, I had tried to insist on this point that the web is not a visual medium hmm. or or rather to say not a visual only medium right that's and true that there's so many complexities outside the thing and then there's accessibility there are so many browser variations mm -hmm. so many device variations so many network variations and and so many other things that we have to parallelly think of right uh, that to that and eventually even though you might uh, i mean we might say that okay designers are from mars and developers are from uh, venus and from different planets but everyone is trying to make a better product in right. their own ways right in a way so yeah yeah we're all working together towards the same kind of common goal and building this stuff now what is your tooling look like in terms of how you do stuff jonathan in terms of when you are well i mean it, when you are the one that are doing it for yourself like what does your tool chain look like and what do you use to make this stuff happen so i'm a huge fan of i've played with them all but right now i'm using a tool called ux pin which mm -hmm. is very similar to Figma and Framer and some of these some of these other ones. But I find that it's super helpful for even... I don't do a whole lot of like design and then hand off to developers because I tend to do the design as we talked about before and then right. work on the project. But where I found it helpful is presenting ideas to the client and getting buy-in where they can actually look at something that isn't like a picture that I've done in, you know, whatever... Photoshop, giving them like a prototype that they can play with. They can open it on their phone and like scroll it and touch things and see modals launch mm. and menus that spring out of this, you know, whatever. And so uh, designing these prototypes, these rich prototypes that do have a certain element of interactivity to them is huge uh, for the client to be able to understand exactly what they're going to be getting and for you to present your ideas to them in a way that they can understand instead of saying, oh, like, here's a picture. And then like, here's another picture that's this is what's going to happen when the user touches this button or whatever. It's much more real to the client uh, when you can you can develop these prototypes and let them kind of play with it. And then also it sort of helps it helps you stay true to the to the design because, I mean, you've shown that what you're designing is 
you know, a realistic approach to take and all that. And it sort of helps weed out some of these ideas that may be far-fetched. I've been playing with ideas that I've had before in, in my prototyping tool. And that's where I've come to realize that what I'm actually wanting to do is probably not the greatest idea for a number of reasons. Maybe it allows me to think through like, oh, well, this is going to lead to this and it's not going to work. Or I'll discover some design limitation that I didn't think about before in the process of trying to actually prototype an interaction out. Mm. And so that's why I absolutely love all of the tools that are available. Now, there's so many to choose from. Like we just talked about Figma, uh, Framer, um, XD, if you have the Adobe, you're in the Adobe world, XD is a pretty decent one. But uh, yeah, I think that prototyping out, particularly interactions is is super helpful. This is going to be a tough question for you, Jonathan. And I'm going to ask you the same thing, Rob, so you can get the benefit of Jonathan's answer. But because you two, <laughs> you two are the two here that are kind of have your feet in both worlds, your designers and your developers. If you were forced at the point of a gun to pick one or the other. And for the rest of your life, you're going to be a designer or you're going to be a developer. Which are you going to be, Jonathan? Oh, I mean, just um, maybe just because of JavaScript, I'd probably choose to be a designer. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great answer. That's a great answer. How about you, Rob? Like, which would you pick? If you were forced, you're a designer or developer, you've done both. Like, which would you do? It's a tough question. I really enjoy both. Right. I forget who mentioned it earlier, but someone said that they really enjoyed development because of the problem-solving aspect. And we have plenty of that on the design side, too. But Hmm. I really do enjoy that element of development. But I think I would have to choose design. You would choose design. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. So yeah. both of the designer developers said, all right, you know what? I'm going to be a designer if if I'm forced to, if I'm forced to, you know? <laughs> I think for myself, um, the development world, well, the design world keeps changing too, but the dev, dev world, I just can't keep up with it Right. doing both sides. Right. And uh, I really think, I, I enjoy thinking through the details and coming up with a solution for a complex problem. And I'm able to do that on the front end of design and, and dev with the collaborative process that I've kind of described a little bit. That I really enjoy that part. I think it's a common yeah. sentiment that people say, oh, you know, I can't keep up with the development world or whatever. But I think it's that supposes that it's a monolith. You know what I mean? Like the whole development world is is over here. But I think that it's it's like this crazy, weird, organic thing with like different offshoots that are constantly shooting out and falling off and dying out. You know what I mean? Like it's this crazy right. organism. So I, I don't think you should ever feel that it's something that you're not up to date with because no matter where you are like i guarantee you that you're doing you're doing something that someone else wishes they were doing you know what i mean and someone else is doing something that you've been interested in like there's always going to be that feeling you know what i mean that's true yeah yeah so yeah i guess i'll ask you suvik you know i mean i know you don't really do any design does it have any appeal for you at all so I personally, I don't consider myself as a pure developer. Mm. I do consider myself to be as much a designer, but more like a web designer rather than a visual designer. Oh, well, then you're getting uh, the question too, Suva. I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry. Then you're going to get it too. Gun is pointed at your head. You can be either a designer or a developer for the rest of your life, which you're going to be. I, I'll pick the developer over okay. here. Uh, right. I, and, and, and one of the reasons I would pick developer because I have been doing that for the longest part of my life. Right. And I do believe that a website with no JavaScript is probably the most robust website. Right. Yeah. 
No, sure. I mean, the fewer moving parts anything has, the more robust it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and Patrick, I don't want you to feel left out. You know, I mean, I, I would ask you, except there is no manager option in the question. Uh, I'm still a UX at heart. I started my career doing user experience and I still wireframe out. And Okay. You know, well, then I'm, then. I'm all thumbs when it comes to design, you know, as a whole. But UX is still. So, if I had to pick that, like user experience design versus developer. Yeah. Personally, I've gone over it more into development. I actually, and Civic, I'm on team developer, but I, I love what JavaScript can do actually in just making things fully interactive on the browser on the client side when they all work together and they all talk to each other and I don't need to go round trip to the server on every little thing. Just that stuff that's really hit a stride in the last couple of years. Yeah. And is just magic when it, when it gets going. And yeah, just that always trying to get your page speed a little bit faster, your page size a little smaller and get things efficient. And yeah, there's just so much fun. I like not that I don't love design and I really appreciate good design, but to me, there's always new challenges, like you said, always new ways to find to solve problems. Right. Yeah, development to me is just more compelling. I mean, I will tell you one thing that drives me nuts is when one group in this equation, like kind of looks down their nose at the other. You know what I mean? And that, that really bothers me because, you know, if you're a developer and you're looking down at designers, well, you know what? Guess what? Without a designer, your, your product is going to look like crap. <laughs> and no one's going to want anything to do with it. And if you're a designer and you're looking down on developers, well, you know, guess what? That that fancy thing that you design is going to spontaneously combust when anyone <laughs> tries to use it. And if you're uh, either one of those two and you're looking down at a UX designer, well, you know, you're going to end up with something that is completely, it may look good, it may operate good from performance point of view, but no one's going to want to use it because it sucks. So get over yourself. We all got to work together to make stuff happen, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what the whole discussion here is about, is that we need to figure out a way that we can all work together. And it sounds like, Rob, one of the things that you think is a really good way to do this is just to get people more involved in an iterative process, right? Yeah, absolutely. On both both ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Right. So how early would you want a developer involved when a designer is mocking out ideas? Like, because there's got to be a point where it's too early and the, de the designer is going to be like, okay, look, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm just experimenting and iterating, like, leave me alone, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, personally, I would prefer to have a developer in kind of at the start before any wireframing or even oh, sketching okay. is done just to have more of a brainstorming session, talk about limitations and that sort of thing, especially from a budget perspective and a timeline perspective. I think often on the design side, even myself doing development as well, it's really easy to lose sight of the timeline factoring in development and realizing you know, how long it's going to take on that side of things. So often we'll, we'll take up more than we should on the design side and really tighten, make the, the devs, dev side tighten up you know, on a timeline perspective instead of having, just as an example, a month. Now you only have two weeks you know, to get a whole website done. That's, uh, that's, that's never good. And no. <laughs> that's when we start rushing and you know, we, we skip out on cross-browser testing and you know, different elements like that. Mm -hmm. So are you of the opinion that if you don't have the time to do the job right, that you might just pass on doing the job? Is that something that you subscribe to? Is that, so we plan our process in such a way that such a we don't end up in that situation. Uh, that That's something that we try really hard to do. And one of the things that we try to introduce right at the beginning of our project is to do a very thorough workshop with the clients to 
get to un- a complete understanding of the goals, audience, the content, the outcomes, and the prioritization, and have the designer, the the dev- someone from the development team, and even the content person. And, and we and uh, we believe that content is very important and kind of like the third piece in the puzzle, and mm. and probably should be the person who's leading even the designer in a way. So our our typical process that we try to do is the content leads and soon after the designer follows and soon after the developer follows. And we try to make sure that every week there is at least one internal check-in between the designer and the developer so that we don't end up in in a situation where, oh my God, we have a fantastic design, but we have to rush to the development. Right. Yeah. And as projects that we work on get more and more complicated, there are more and more specialists that need to get involved, right? So, it, you know, at one point, it was a graphic designer and they would throw something together in Dreamweaver or whatever. Then we were building more complicated stuff. So we actually need developers that are going to be involved. And, you know, maybe we would even have specialist developers. We would have a back-end developer. We would have front-end developer, you know, whatever, whatever it ends up being. And then maybe we would need a UX designer. Now we're going to add a content authoring experience person onto the team, right? So it sounds, you know, as the, the problem gets more and more difficult to solve, we have more and more specialists that need to get involved in the mix and probably need to get involved earlier. I, I totally support a process where at least the core set of skills that are getting used in the project have adequate time to align with each other's process right at the beginning and uh, have a great understanding of the goals of the project itself and uh, and because without that including the specialist i would say like and mm. one of the specialists often these days are like people who are doing interactive visualizations right uh, as an example which is often different set of people than people doing the traditional html css work yeah yeah do you find that rob that you you tend to have a lot more specialists on your your team as projects get bigger uh well for for us we have a pretty small team of five Mm-hmm. So, not really. Right. I think one of the advantages we have as a smaller team is the collaboration piece is much easier to do. Right. And especially with myself being both a designer and a developer, you know, I, I mentioned earlier wanting to get a developer in as early as possible. Well, for for us, that's me. So I'm, you know, I'm there for, at the start of almost any project, thinking through and brainstorming. But for a team that doesn't have both a design and a development team together, right. Like maybe you're just a design shop. You know, the, the ability to pull in a developer earlier in the process, well, maybe that's just not possible. Mm. Uh, or on the other side, maybe it's, it's not as easily done. But I do think it's still important along the way. No, I mean, that makes sense. And, you know, the other thing to think about is the level of involvement is not going to be the same, right? It's going to be on a curve. So when the project is early on in the process, there's going to be more kind of design stuff involved, right? It's going to be design heavy. And you can involve a developer then, but the amount of work that they're going to be doing is going to be smaller, I think. You know, they're kind of be going to be sanity checking <laughs> the thing to make sure that right. the designer right. is not That's going... That's the big thing. Yeah, the designer is not going completely crazy and you know this just never is going to be able to happen and maybe the you know as the designer ramps down then the developer ramps up but i'm kind of visualizing like these curves where there's always involvement but the level of involvement changes over the progress of the project and that rings true for a lot of the projects that i've worked on i mean jonathan have you experienced a similar thing i know that some of the projects you're working on you're you're both so it's just you <laughs> like you're you're involved in there no matter what but you also have worked on a number of projects where there are other designers and other developers involved you always want to have 
have, you know, a designer, a developer, and a content author, and a bunch of the content strategists, I should say, involved, but the, their level of involvement changes over the, the length of the project. So, for instance, it might be design heavy in the beginning, and then the content author experience person starts doing a lot more work, and then the developer starts doing a lot more work, kind of like, you know, all these people are involved, but in the beginning, it'll be it'll be at different levels as the, as the project progresses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's just the natural evolution of most projects is depending on what phase you're in. Right. You're going to have different people on your team uh, stepping in more, more so than at other parts. I frequently find that it's just me a lot, but if there are projects that are big enough that I have to scale up. Do you ever get mad at you? Do you ever get mad at Uh, yourself? You know, what do you mean? Well, like in the past, you might get mad at a designer that gives you some really hard to implement design. You ever get mad at yourself? Like, why did I design this? This is really hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sometimes I'll even put, you know, something in my permanent employment file one that I keep for myself. You know, but how, about, how about you, Rob? Is there any kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing going on since you kind of can play both roles? Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So tell it tell, happens often, actually. Yeah. So do you have a, a story about a, a case where you you designed yourself into a box or you developed yourself into a, to a hard corner or something like that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Actually, just recently, we wrapped up a project that was exactly that. I'm not the only designer on our team, of course. And we actually have another creative director and we kind of juggle that back and forth, splitting projects, working collaboratively too. And uh, we like to push each other to make our designs better, make our designs as a whole team better. And for this particular project, we just kept Kept going back and forth, making the interactions more sleek and cool and you know, cutting edge. And by the time it came to development, yeah, it was it was really hard to pull off. Ended up getting it done, but we were way over budget. <laughs> right. And, and you just, at that point, I mean, is it something that you passed it along to the client or you just swallowed the expense? Oh, no, we, we swallowed the expense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a tough lesson to learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. But, you know, we... we quote our projects out fixed and you know we try to factor in everything front end and of course there's always things that get missed but that's just uh, kind of a part of what we do right you know and what better way to learn than to have something like that happen where it's like materially affects the you know the the, the bottom line of the company right like okay yeah, i'm yeah. gonna make sure i don't do that again you know right hey but it worked out for the client they have a killer site it's you know it's awesome it, it's all the things we wanted it to be it just took a little bit more time yeah and i think everyone has done that you know everyone has that project that it, it turned out nice, but they just took an absolute beating on. <laughs> you know, they took a bath on it. But I wonder if some of that isn't because of we need a better process between the expectations coming from the designer and the reality coming from the developer. Have you ever been in that situation, Suvik? Uh, absolutely. And I mean, uh, one of the things that I'm just giving, taking one example in this, that very often uh, I find designers starting out with the largest canvas making the design really good in the desktop mm. uh, and sometimes reaching a point and and checking with you that does this look good and all I, and my reaction to that is this looks awesome but the mobile is something that we need as well right. and that kind of makes it very difficult for for the designer because because uh, very recently like one of the designers had even uh, even asked like do you need the mobile one or can you do that yourself because that's <laughs> the one that you are focusing on the most and and my response to that was look if you if you want to do only one of them let it be the mobile yeah and, for sure 
so yeah so these these kinds of experiences keep happening right no i mean for sure these days the mobile one is going to be the the more important one right or the the one that is probably going to be receiving the most attention and maybe some designers are not i don't know you know maybe they're not up to snuff on that but i i have experienced exactly what you're talking about because when someone shows me a design the first thing i start thinking about like they'll they'll be like what do you think of this design And I'm the worst person to ask because I won't be giving them feedback on the quality of the design. I'll be thinking about how difficult it is to implement, what it's going to look like mobile, what it's going to look like in this orientation, that that tablet will will it work on a watch, you know, that that type of thing, you know, which is the exact opposite of the type of feedback that they're they're looking for. You are a huge buzzkill in design. I know. I know. (laughs) Well, I'm, 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 you know, I'm just not the right person to ask when it comes to it. I mean, I can tell you what I think is a good design, but I have to consciously like turn off that part of my brain that is figuring out the stuff that you're not asking me about. Is that why you don't ask me about it anymore, Jonathan? You got it. (laughs) Jonathan used to run stuff by me and be like, wow, what do you think of this? And I, you know, I'd probably give him feedback that he's like always left terrible, feeling terrible about myself. Yeah. He actually thought about quitting the profession, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that's the kind of feedback that we need, honestly, yeah, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's that's what I'm what I'm talking about. Where you know, we talk about having a collaboration on both ends of the project. We really need that on the right. front end. And even I, even myself, uh, you know, being in both worlds, I can get so caught up in the design that, that I lose track of that side. So having a you know, extra set of eyes, fresh pair of eyes on the project. You know, keeping me kind of accountable to web standards and different things like that is really helpful. Right. So, what what does everybody think about the the quote unquote new front end or you know the uh, the Jamstack way of building sites now, where instead of like a traditional server side application, you you've basically got like a React front end or view. Is this does anybody feel like that this actually is going to make it more difficult for non-developers or designer types to be able to design realistic ideas or does it make it easier for developers to implement these ideas that come to us? I've wondered about that. Like thinking in terms of components and things like that, is that something that designers going to be able to is that going to make them make it easier for them or more difficult? Well, just on the component thought, that was actually something I wanted to mention earlier when Andrew asked about tooling. I think and most modern web design programs have some idea of components. They might call it something different. But in Figma, you know, we have components and we use that pretty regularly for our web design. And I think one of the advantages of that is it helps maintain consistency. Mm. And Suvik, you mentioned like font sizes kind of being all over the place. And Andrew, you mentioned how, you know, that kind of maybe stems from print or non-web work where, oh, you can kind of get away from that. But the component idea really helps uh, maintain the consistency and uh, it helps, I think it helps keep us from getting out of hand by making every little thing, you know, unique and different. Well, sure. I mean, as again, as the problem gets more complex, we have to break things down into pieces. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if we're no longer just presenting like a web page with some pictures of cats on it or whatever, and now we're actually implementing, you know, web app style GUIs and software as a service that does stuff, you know, and it looks kind of native-ish. I mean, that's more complicated. So you need a way to break that down into smaller pieces like components. Jonathan, I think that 
there will be a layer of tooling so that people will be able to leverage that layer of tooling to then do stuff. But someone's got to build that layer of tooling, right? (laughs) I mean, I've long said that I think a lot of people who were more like uh, traditional designer devs probably are going to end up using stuff like Webflow or, you know, that kind of middleware tool that sits on top of the development stack and builds this stuff for them. You know, even tools like Framer mm-hmm. will allow you to design prototypes with actual React components right. as part of the prototype. Right. But I, I, I haven't found too many people that are actually doing this. Right. And I, I would wonder how uh, reliable the code that's being outputted from that is. And in my experience with tools that do generate code of some sort, it's just not quite where I would want it to be. Right. Well, like Framer, Framer has basically a code editor. I mean, you can actually see the code and you can change it and make, you know, build build components like actual React components in Framer and then include them in in your prototype. But uh, but again, like how many designers are out there building React components? I feel that the, the Jamstack question and the modularity part, uh, my opinion is that I think design should be modular. Mm. There should be systems thinking involved components right. involved irrespective of whether it's a Jamstack or not, whether Agreed. it's React or not. Because we, we don't do a lot of work on, uh, we don't do any work on Jamstack uh, at this point of time. We haven't, we're not very clear as to whether that will give substantial benefit to the kind of work that we do even at this point of time. But the modular, uh, using modular components and thinking of a large system in these small pieces, keeping things consistent is still a very core part of our work. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think I think using Jamstack can also or any kind of like if you have a React or Vue or whatever front end, it, it does make it a little easier though because it's just all about components. Right. But I mean, I think you can use that in anything. And this gets back to something that Rob was saying earlier. Where about you know he mentioned something about feeling like he couldn't keep up with the development world or or whatever. Well, part of that is so first of all, like Jamstack is not going to be the right fit for every project. Like, it's just not, okay? (laughs) And Jamstack also is not going to necessarily be the right fit for every agency. You know, it depends on what you're building. And by conversely speaking, building stuff in a CMS is not going to be the right answer for a lot of projects, you know? So I don't think that that the development world is inexorably moving towards one or the other. We're just developing more tools that are better at fixing or implementing more specific things. You know what I mean? Whereas in the past, we might have been like, well, let's just blob it all together. Like everything's a CMS, right? But now we came up with, oh, well, if we're building a web app, it's actually easier to build it with this kind of tooling rather than with that. Is that does that make sense? Yeah, there's specialization in everything. Like you right. said earlier, there's specialization in roles and responsibilities. And right now there's specialization in technology. Right. And I guess my point with all of that is don't feel that you are being left out from something if the work that you're doing isn't best suited for Jamstack or for the CMS or for React or whatever it is, right? You're not being you're not being left behind by any means. What is going on is that you're building something with the tools that make sense to build what you're building. <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's just a different thing. But that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. If you'd like to have every episode delivered to your favorite player, you can subscribe via RSS or you can 
can find us on iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, please review the show on iTunes. It's the best way to help others find the show. You can also find us on Twitter at devmode.fm, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website where we can continue the conversation. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Jonathan Melville. And Silvic, thank you for coming on. Thanks a lot. And also, Rob, thank you for coming on. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I was able to be a part of this. It was a lot of fun. And Silvic, I apologize if I butchered your name. high school moment where the teacher calls on Jonathan who's sleeping at the desk. <laughs> oh, I, we had a couple of those. <laughs> Please edit that out to where it doesn't sound like uh, I don't know. We'll see how you much it's worth it. We'll see how much it's worth it to you. Mm-hmm. All right. Stop that recording.